Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we're going to chat with Kelly Moore, CJOB Sports Director, as Winnipeg Jets training camp is here. And also Mark Arndt of Tennis Manitoba stops by to tell us about the Labor Cup happening this weekend in Vancouver. That's all coming up on the podcast. We go back now to Winnipeg Jets training camp. Kelly Moore, very busy today, cutting up audio, going to training camp, talking to Chevy and Rick Bonus, and being on various shows, including this one here as he joins us now. Kelly, have hey, have you uh, had a chance to put your feet up yet? Well, I watched a little bit of that Toronto-New York game, and I'll tell you, uh, Mr. King for the Yankees is uh, doing a number on the Jays' batters. But uh, no, you know what? It, it, I've had all summer to have the feet up, Christian. It's time to get to work. <laughs> yeah, King with 11 strikeouts through five and two-thirds innings as of right now. That's pretty impressive. Wow. Uh, so we're looking at the, the training camp rosters split evenly pretty much NHLers between the two of them today we heard the line combinations did anything surprise you from how the line combos appear to be arranged heading into tomorrow's first on ice sessions well I'll tell you what surprised me Christian was that Rick Bonus was so revealing right off the hop I don't know that I've ever I can ever remember where a coach offered up that much information on a very simple question you know how do you put the pieces together? Is that, you know, would that be accurate, you know, to be uh, one of the focal points of camp? And then, you know, he just uh, gave the big reveal. Now, he didn't mention the second line in particular. I think Kevin Dayoff made reference to uh, Nikolai Ehlers playing with Cole Perfetti. Uh, but, uh, you know, what uh, Rick Bonus told us was for sure Gabriel Velarde was going to play on the right side with, uh, with Shifley and Connor. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense, I think, Christian. Uh, you want to have a different look to your hockey club. As Rick Bonus has mentioned uh, a couple of times now, uh, the Adam Lowry captaincy uh, announcement, and then today, you know, they were among the 31 teams that didn't win the Stanley Cup. They have to do something different. So if you were to throw Ehlers, Shifley, and Connor back together again, how much different is that? Um so I, I I guess in one way I'm not surprised by that, and and Gabriel Velarde is a major piece of the uh, uh, what the, the Jets received for Pierre Luc Dubois. So give him a chance to prosper. That that second line is intriguing to me, Christian, only from the idea that uh, the uh, the injury woes that Nikolai Ehlers and Cole Perfetti have endured. Uh, for Perfetti, his first two years in the National Hockey League. For Nikolai, his last three years. Now, he missed 37 games last season, but in the last three years, Nick's missed 66 games. So keeping him healthy uh, is also going to be, uh, I think, on the uh, high on the uh, to-do list, uh, as it will be uh, for Cole Perfetti. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that line operates, how they play, especially with Perfetti in the middle. Uh, we were tipped off that that was going to happen, so there was no surprise there. I was wondering if it was uh, going to be Iafalo or Nieder Ryder on that uh, left side of that Lowry-Appleton line, and I know there's been some uh, speculation. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if you not suggested maybe that they might split up Lowry and Appleton uh, as well? Well, Murat on the show last night mentioned that he saw Appleton okay, on the fourth line. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, yeah. we know that he's been with Lowry quite a, quite a bit since he came back. The reality is what we see on night one, we know is probably not what we're going to see on night 10 because someone will get hurt or you, sure. you just change things up because over the course of a season, that that's what happens. But what we're seeing now is what they think, at least 
this is what I would think they think is the most optimal construction based on what they know about these players at this moment. Right, exactly. Uh, But I think what this particular group of 12 or 13 forwards also lends itself to, Christian, is a lot of flipping and flopping. Like uh, Everybody likes to use that terminology. Coaches brought out the blender tonight. Uh, I think think, uh, Rick Bonus at times is going to have it on puree uh, because uh, he has all kinds of moving parts. Uh, that uh, he has a great luxury to to move in and out, but anyway, that's the that's the way that it, it shakes up. Then, of course, the fourth line, uh, in in I think it was Mike McIntyre, the Winnipeg Free Press. I, I'm not 100 sure, but it all just brought up you know the fact that you've got Morgan Barron and uh, Vlad Nemesnikov with Rasmus Kupari on your fourth line, uh, and and so that would be an indicator, uh, Christian, that now injuries can affect that depth in a nanosecond. Uh, but with all 12 of the forwards that they project to be in the lineup on opening night remaining healthy, that's a pretty deep lineup. It is. It's It's got more depth than I think we've seen. Uh, maybe less firepower at the top end, but more more deep than we've seen. Well, they, but it didn't have firepower last year, Christian. They they struggled offensively. The year before, you know, they had their peaks and valleys. I, I think that uh, one of the things that they've changed uh, as far as the outlook of this hockey club is, you know, for years we've been saying, you know, oh man, they've got a, a great set of uh, top six forwards. I was as guilty as that of anybody. Uh, but I think they've been, uh, you know, living on past press clippings. Uh, this is a team that's going to have to play meat and potatoes in your face, lunch bucket style hockey to have any chance to be successful. The one part that might be immune from the blender is Shifley Connor together on the top line. It seems like that's probably set in stone. Yeah. Pairs. I agree with you. Pairs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess when we've looked at pairs in the past this year, I guess we're, we're pairing Perfetti and Ehlers together as long as they're healthy. But for Perfetti who turns 22 on January 1st, still super young. We have to remember that. And this is, I mean, he's been given a huge opportunity here to be a second line center. Right. And how I'm really curious to know how long that leash is for Cole Perfetti. You know, because, uh, uh, you know, the one thing we've seen from this young guy, Christian, when he's healthy, uh, you know, he's not a defensive liability, at least not in my opinion. Uh, You know, the analytics may say different. I don't uh, really subscribe to them. I go by the eye test. Uh, which makes me very unpopular these days. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see him being a defensive liability, certainly not more so than uh, some of the other players on the team. Uh, and, and we've seen that his hockey IQ, especially in terms of his creativity, uh, is top-notch. But, uh, you know, by the same token, he is on the smaller side. Not that Vlad Nemesnikov is a giant by any stretch of the imagination. And then you also have Gabe Velarde. So you've got some options there if it doesn't go well for Cole Perfetti. I just wonder how long, you know, that uh, particular uh, instance is going to be for Cole. How many, I guess, uh, mulligans is he going to have? That's a good question because this is a team that has youth on it, but doesn't really have rookies per se on yeah, it, right? Yeah. You look at Kupari and, and Baron Perfetti, they don't have a, a giant wealth of NHL experience. And yeah, throw Velarde into that too. Yeah. He's only 23. Yeah, yeah that's true. Coming off I a, guess he's 24 now. Yeah. a breakout yeah. season last year, I think there's some some big expectations on him now that he's being tapped to be a top line 
uh, forward in the NHL. Right. And, you know, he was, yeah, he's 24 years old, uh, just turned that uh, earlier last month. But, um, you know, and, and the other thing too, Christian, is uh, Rick Bonus. Uh, is that the Rick Bonus? Yeah, no, it must have been Bones that uh, that said this, talking about the power play specifically. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the question was asked with, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois having been traded to Los Angeles and Blake Wheeler uh, being bought out and moving on to the New York Rangers. You know, what, uh, what are some of the options to replace those guys in the power play? And there was no hesitation in mentioning the names Nikolai Ehlers and Gabriel Velarde. So they're going to get those two guys, whether they're playing on the first or second line or line 1A, line 1B, they're going to get their chances uh, certainly to contribute offensively on that number one power play unit. And uh, again, you know, for all of this supposed uh, highly skilled talent that's up front, Boy, you saw it as well as I did, Christian, and many, many others. Uh, the Jets uh, really, really struggled uh, on the power play. Uh, you know, Nikolai Ehlers was thought to be uh, the magic elixir. And I remember that one night in St. Louis in particular where uh, nothing was further from the truth. But uh, now it's not going to be cameo appearances. It, it sounds like he's going to get an honest-to-goodness chance to play on that number one power play unit, uh, uh, perhaps for his first time as a Winnipeg Jet. Can you remember a training camp in the years you've covered this team or, or hockey in general where you look around and you just wonder, are there any jobs available? Well, there are jobs available, but they're, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not in the marquee positions or even uh, you know, in the bottom six or, or bottom two positions uh, up front and on the blue line. You know, where the competition is, is, is for depth uh, jobs. You know, the, uh, if they go 13 or 14 forwards deep. Now, keep in mind, the Jets don't know a whole lot about Rasmus Kapari. So, man, I'll tell you, it's incumbent upon him to make, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to be anything he's not, but it's incumbent upon him, I think, to be the best version of himself, uh, because if he's not, then that opens the door for maybe a David Gustafson who had his chances last year. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say lost the confidence of the coaching staff. They moved him out of the middle because he wasn't winning key face-offs and put him over on the wall. And eventually he just simply got, uh, uh structured out of the lineup once they picked up, uh, Niederreiter and Nemesnikov. Um, you know, and then you've also got Axel Janssen Fialbi, who had a great first half of the season, uh, but like uh, many of the Jets, just wasn't able to sustain that over the second half. So he's kind of starting from scratch. Uh, the guys I kind of wonder about are Jansen Harkins and Dominic Toninato. Both quality, quality people. Good, very good players at the American Hockey League level, but you know, and I asked Rick Bonus about this today. Didn't really, you know, get a, a, a clear-cut answer. But and I wasn't mentioning uh, Harkins and Tony Nato specifically. But you know, he didn't know those guys at all coming in, or very little coming in uh, last year. He's got a book on him now, and I wonder can he separate the book on him that he had on him last year going into this training camp? And looking at the defense now, I haven't talked about them yet, but it's pretty set in stone with Morrissey and Demello needing. Uh, probably a better year for Neil Pionk with Brendan Dillon. And then the the third pairing, Nate Schmidt getting paid six mil and Dylan Sandberg, who earned that uh, sixth defenseman yeah. job, took it last year in training camp. Logan Stanley, Kyle Capo, Bianco, Declan Chisholm, kind of the three looking at two spots in the press box. 
Uh, how do you see this shaking out? Because again, it, it looks like a, we're, we got three guys fighting for press box spots. Yeah, well, and, and I, uh, I I think also pushing hard, uh, you know, I, I don't know uh, that the Jets would ever entertain sitting out Neil Pionk. Uh, y- y- did he have a, a, as good a year as he had the first couple? No, uh, but I don't think he was as bad as, as people have made him out to be either. Um, but, uh, you know, Christian, it'll be really interesting to watch Dylan Sandberg this year. You and I have talked about this before. The confidence he gained at that world championship uh, playing for Team USA, can he bring? Can he use that as a, spring, a springboard? Can he bring that into this training camp in the preseason? You know, he even talked about it himself uh, overseas. You know that the Jets coaching staff have been asking him. You know, bring in, You know, bring out that offensive Dylan Sandberg. So I, I'm wondering if you know there's uh, a situation where the Jets feel they need a real heavy pair on defense. Can Sandberg and Dylan, you know, and now it would involve having to move one of them over to their other, you know, their their non-shooting side. Uh, but would they ever entertaining uh, entertain the idea of having those two guys paired up uh, as a second uh, defense pair? And we saw, you know, last year Nate uh, got sat out for a few games because he had, been, you know, he'd, he'd had conversations with the coaching staff, according to Rick Bonus, that you know you got to play quicker, you've got to pick it up, and when he didn't. He found himself sitting. And so I, I think, you know, there's pressure on Nate Schmidt this year, Christian, to, you know, have a really good start at the training camp, the preseason, and, of course, the regular season to hold off, whether it's a Ville Hanala, whether it's a Logan Stanley, uh, whether it's a Kyle Capobianco. And I, and I wonder about Capobianco. You know, last year, you know, the, the reluctance for the Jets to, to expose him to waivers because he had another year left on his contract. But, you know, this year, now they still have control because he'd be a restricted free agent. Uh, but I wonder if, you know, if they see enough from guys like Hanola and like Declan Chisholm with the idea that they still want offense from the defense, uh, if if those guys could maybe uh, push in that direction, you know, to start the year as the seventh or eighth defenseman, but then go after it if they ever get the opportunity to get into the lineup. And but that's that's going to be a great battle. I, I'm looking forward to this training camp. I know, you know, we're not talking about there's a job open on the first line or, you know, there there is kind of a, a, a job competition for that second line center. Cole Perfetti starting there. Mm-hmm. Can he hang on to it? Yep. So I think that's, uh, you know, the, the, there's a job there. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the battle at the bottom end of the roster, Christian, I think is going to be real fascinating to watch. So when you're out there at the Hockey for All Center tomorrow checking out the sessions, what are you looking for? Are you just looking for speed? What are you looking for when you see people skating for the first time? Well, even even with all the hockey I've watched, you know, I, positionally I, I still struggle with knowing whether a player is, you know, in, in exactly the right spot where he should be. But, yeah, I, I'm going to be looking for how quickly the defenseman moved the puck how quickly the forwards get on the puck when they get into four checking drills, and you know, and and it doesn't take a, a a rocket scientist to figure out where the forwards are supposed to be defensively and their reads. You know, like uh, if a defenseman is is a right shot, you know, and you're coming in on the four check, you know, does the coach want him to take away? the four checker to take the, the, the middle ice away and force the defenseman to go up the wall or 
force the defenseman to maybe make a pass on the backhand that doesn't quite hit the mark. So those are, you know, some of the things, uh, you know, the, 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 the minor little things, but you can, you can pick up on some of that in the practice. Well, have fun, Kelly. Tomorrow, I'm sure we'll be uh, getting lots of audio from training camp that we'll share on the show tomorrow night. And thanks for coming on here. Absolutely. Yeah. 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. are the skates. Uh, It's always subject to change. So watch for that Winnipeg Jets PR uh, uh, posting uh, in the morning on X uh, because sometimes, uh, you know, uh, Rick Bonus will uh, change up the times from time to time. Uh, but uh, uh, open to the public, and I'm expecting there'll be a pretty good turnout. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in this training camp, Christian. I agree. Kelly Moore, CGOB Sports Director, joining us here on the show tonight. This weekend, one of the biggest tennis tournaments uh, in terms of international team tennis comes to Vancouver. The Labor Cup is here, and... To talk about it, to break it down, Mark Arn of Tennis Manitoba joins us now. Mark, first of all, are you going to the Labor Cup? Uh, don't ask. That still hurts. You know, I had a chance to go, and um, yeah, and I, I just couldn't schedule, collided, so I just wasn't able to go. And whatever what even makes it worse is that I had a chance to. Um, Roger Federer's there in person, and he's he's part of the whole thing as an owner, and organizer of the event but he's actually meeting with the tennis bc staff so my counterpart the executive director there in bc is hosting him for meetings and uh, the invitation was open to all the executive directors across the uh the nation to come and meet and talk to roger a bit and i've met him before he's a fantastic guy so i like him so much but i would have been a second chance to meet him and so the long answer to your question is no i'm not going i'll be watching on tv but you're not sour about it. <laughs> oh man, he's my favorite all time. I'm gonna be. I know, you know. He honestly is having a chance to met him. I have photos with him, and he's as nice behind the scenes as he is what you see on court on the camera and all that. He is just like such a fantastic person. Yeah. <laughs> so he's part of this event that is fairly new to the tennis circuit. It's been around since 2017. It's Europe versus the world. It's Ryder Cup ish, I guess it's. Yeah. It, I know the Davis Cup's been around forever, and that's that's each individual country on its own. Mm-hmm. The Labor Cup has it worked so far in your mind? Uh, it had. You know what? It did when Roger was playing, when Nadal played, when when all the top players play, it works. We'll see this this year. Ask me after this weekend and see what the numbers are when they come back um, after this weekend, because the players aren't aren't your top like the eight players that we had, like we were used to, we were spoiled with, with Federer and Nadal, Djokovic and Sitsi Pass and guys like that in the past. And now, I mean, Europe, their top players, Rublev, Rude, Hercatch, you know, I mean, sub, they're not those top class players. And, and don't get me wrong, they're still the top 10 in the world, top 20. I'd love to be in that position. But And Team World is basically Team North America. It's, it's all the Americans and, and one Canadian in there, plus uh, an Argentinian, I guess. And So, yeah, it's we'll see after this year. And, I mean, what made it very appealing in the past was that Rafa played together with Roger in doubles, and then Djokovic played together with them in doubles, and you know, so that made it made it very intriguing seeing those two. And that was the drawing card was that. So let's let's see after this tournament, and then we can have a better indication. Yeah, I think part of the reason why Murray, Djokovic, Nadal were all out there last year was it was Federer's send off, and they wanted to yeah. be there for their good buddy to watch him go. But 
Rafa's hurt. Djokovic has better, bigger priorities and, and Murray as well. And you look at now with Holger Runas, he's withdrawn. Stefano Tsitsipas is withdrawn. That's the fourth and fifth ranked players in the world. They still have the sixth ranked Andre Rublev, number nine, Casper Ruud, 16, Herbert Hercotch. You go down the list, you got, you know, all the, all the players are in the top 50 in the world. So you're still getting amazing tennis players, but in terms of name recognition, it's obviously not the same. And that's, kind of a microcosm of where we're going in tennis when all these superstars are going to be gone soon. Yeah, I know. And that's, you know, we knew that day was coming. We were seriously spoiled with, with Rafa and with Roger uh, playing and having so many years of playing. I mean, we were super spoiled. I mean, yeah, but you look at the, at the past too. I mean, when McEnroe and board played back in the seventies and eighties, you know, people thought, okay, that's, that's the, the best tennis we'll ever get. And then Sampras and Agassi came along that generation. So there's always somebody coming. The succession is there, but for some reason, I just feel that we're, we're stuck or again, having that level, that caliber that we had for 20 plus years with, with the guys we mentioned, I mean, for them to not be part of it. I mean, it, it, it takes a hit, uh, you know, at the box office basically. And I mean, on the women's side, it, they're, they're in a healthy position on the women's side, uh, lots of star names there, even though Serena and Venus are, or Serena's retired and Venus is, is uh, riding off into the sunset. But I mean, on the men's side, it's going to be like this for a while. I mean, it's, it will be open. I think wide open for, uh, I mean, unless Alcatraz or Alcatraz, Alcaraz, uh, uh, he, I'm, I'm not sure why he's not playing this one. Maybe he's just taking a breather as well. But I mean, he, it's, you know, it's going to be his sport for the next little while once Djokovic retires. But uh, uh, yeah, that's where we'll be at on the men's side of things. By the way, he's mentioned Borg and McEnroe. Those are the coaches. Bjorn Borg coaching Team Europe and John McEnroe coaching Team World. Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo, Tommy Paul, Ben Shelton, Chris Eubanks, all Americans on Team World, Francisco Sarundolo is from Argentina, and then Felix Ogiali-Assim, and Milos Raonic added about a week ago to the, yeah. as he kind of continues his his send-off. And this is in Vancouver, so they're going to have the crowd on their side. They play singles matches through the day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, with yep. matches on day one worth one point, one doubles match each day. Singles and doubles, and then starts with doubles, ends with singles day three. So you could uh, end with a, a singles win, I, I suppose. Uh, do you like this event? As someone who follows tennis, has been a part of tennis for a long time, does this is this something that if it wasn't in Canada, you'd be watching? Yeah, like I, you know, great question. I mean, last year I watched in previous years, yeah, because I love the players that were playing and, and you know, the best were playing against each other, with each other in, in doubles. And also I watched for that uh, aspect this year. I uh, again it's it's yeah I'll I mean it's tough it, it, it's tougher to say I it, it doesn't really I mean Davis Cup there's a history to Davis Cup Canada won it and I mean that's something that you know it's a team event and and it's your country versus country and here it's putting together it's it's an exhibition it's a glorified exhibition I mean there aren't any points associated uh, with winning matches here so it doesn't count in the ranking so it is a it's it's an awesome event like I mean they've done an amazing job putting it together but I just feel bad for the players and that's why we don't have the um, there's the absence of, of some of the top players because they their break I mean they don't really have an off season they might have two or three weeks around Christmas time uh, during the holiday season that that they have off and and this right now after the U.S. Open sometimes is also just a mini vacation for a lot of players just to 
to get their body back together. And, and so that's why it's, um, it's not as, it won't be as well attended. I don't think uh, with the top names. So uh, it's, it's a tough call. Like I, I, I like watching great tennis and, and they do take it serious and, and the players do, uh, yeah, they do compete. So it's not an exhibition where it's a friendly match and just, you know, it's for show, but this, this, yeah, there's uh, you know, there's money on the line, of course. And, uh, there's the prestige, and I think with time, if it if it lasts the Labor Cup, then yeah, there might it, it might gain momentum after uh, you know after a, a few more years, then then you can say, you know, this is worthwhile. We look forward to something to circle on your on the calendar. Last year was the first time Team World actually won this event because yeah. normally Europe has had all the top tennis players and has kind of dominated this event, which isn't a giant surprise. And it has been a lot of Americans, and then. Canadians, you know, Nick Kyrgios taking part in a lot of them, Alex Dimonor last year from Australia. But I I don't know, it doesn't it doesn't move the needle too much for me. And and I think part of this, Mark, is because it's new, right? It's from it's only seven years old. It doesn't have the or six years old, it doesn't have the history of the Davis Cup, though the Davis Cup has changed a lot. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, do you expect this to be a winning event for Tennis Canada? Because I know when it was announced last year, there was a lot of excitement coming off World winning that event with the retirement of Federer. So are they expecting big crowds at this event in Vancouver? Yeah, they, I've, my understanding is they've done really well uh, selling tickets and uh, uh, they sold really quickly too. Like as soon as it was announced, uh, tickets were snapped up. So uh, I, I will see what the final numbers are, but all indications are that it will be very successful at the at the gate, and uh, which is good. It's good for Tennis Canada because it's good for Tennis Manitoba, selfishly for ourselves as well. You know, there might be some extra funding that goes along with it, and uh, we'll see how that plays out. But um, it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. It, Canadians are. I mean, we're sneaky. Uh, there's a lot of tennis fans in Canada, whether they play or not. It's not obviously participation. It's not like hockey or, or soccer or whatever, maybe or, or curling, for instance. But there are a lot of tennis fans that that, that exist in in Canada, and as evidenced by uh, by the sales of this, as evidenced uh, the the National Bank Open in Toronto, Montreal has always got great great attendance. So um, it will be well received in Vancouver, BC as a tennis hotbed in in, uh, in Canada. So. Uh, plus all the Americans that are going to come over from Seattle, from uh, from neighboring states, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of Americans will be there, especially with the lineup. You see how many, I mean, seventy five, eighty percent Americans playing in it. So uh, it'll be a great opportunity for that West Coast to see uh, to see Americans in action. So the defending champion Canadians in the Davis Cup they advance to the knockout stage in two months in Spain. Uh, surprising yeah. result, perhaps, given that. A lot of the big names aren't there. Denis Shapovalov didn't play. Felix Ojeda seemed not a part of this. Um, it was two guys that were here: Gabriel yeah. Diallo and Alexi Galarno, who made a huge difference. How exciting was it to see two young guys who you got to interact with perform so well at this event? Oh, it was uh, unbelievable. And I know that our our boys, when they played here at our uh, National Bank Challenger, they lost early and. And upset basically in in early rounds. I thought that they would go further in our tournament here, and uh, their confidence wasn't there when they left Winnipeg. Uh, the confidence definitely was not there. I had a chance to speak to both players and uh, candidly, and and uh, yeah, they're you know sore bodies. It was a long, grueling season, and and um, 
you know, for that to happen, I'm going to be honest, I'm surprised that they came through with the wins, the massive victories for against Italy like that. that, that those results, I was just like, what? You're kidding me. And and then in all due respect, yeah, just knowing how where the confidence was at. But it just shows you tennis. It's so close. Number one player in the world versus 101 or even 201. I mean, on the day, like the skills are there, and and it's just you know basically what's uh, what the confidence is like, what the body's feeling like, and uh, obviously things were great that weekend for for our team, and it's nice to be on uh, to the next stage and to defend the uh, the title. So yeah, yeah Diallo ranked one fifty eighth in singles, Gallerno yeah. two hundred, Lorenzo Musetti ranked eighteenth, and Lorenzo Sanego ranked thirty eighth. So those are big performances. Those are straight sets wins. I know. I still, I look at it's, it's it's unreal, and that's what I love about tennis. Because again, if you're on that day, it's uh, historical wins for 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 these players. I mean, for Gallarno, I mean that those are his biggest wins thus far. So, um, super excited, super proud, and and you know, it's nice. Those are such quality individuals. They're genuinely nice people, and and to have them win, you can't help but cheer for them. So I'm I'm just so uh, proud to, to to know them, to have hosted them here in in Winnipeg. And as I tell them when they leave, I said, you know what. Thanks for coming to Winnipeg, playing our tournament. But you know what? I don't want to see you back here because that means you're on to bigger things on the world stage, on the top stage. But please do come if you're you're still if your rankings are on the 100 or 150. So yeah. It's so the cool. the knockout stage, they they get Finland in the quarterfinals, and you're thinking Finland tennis, what? But are <laughs> are I know Dennis didn't play in this one, but is Shapovalov going to be ready to play in November? Can Felix, even though he didn't play in this first? part of the finals can he suit up in november if he's ready to go how does that work yeah yeah it, for sure it's whoever you know the way the team is decided is basically who's on form and it's not like you have to play x amount of matches to qualify for the next round it's whoever's ready to play for your team for your country at that point in time whoever the hot hand is that's as a coach that's who you play with and and um you know if these boys are ready to go if their bodies are ready i mean they're close to you know, smelling that cup again and, and lifting the trophy. So if, if it's within striking distance uh, and if their body allows them to, I am very sure that they'll be part of that, that team. And uh, yeah, I think that I don't see why they wouldn't be at this point in time. And I mean, the, the injuries they were carrying were, were minor. I mean, I think something that can be uh, healed in time to play in November. And uh, I look forward to having them to, to, to supplement and complement what, what's on that team right now. And uh, the other teams that are in there, if Canada wins that quarterfinal, they'll take on Czech Republic or Australia. And then in the final, it would be Italy, Netherlands, Serbia, or Great Britain with the potential that Novak Djokovic plays in this because, I mean, he wants to win everything. And I'm not sure if he's won a Davis Cup before. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's just it. He's uh, he does want to win everything. He wants to go down as the the greatest of all time. You know that that that. I think he's already got it, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I I have to fact check. I'm not sure. I I can't. I don't want to go and say he hasn't. I I don't recall him winning. Oh, I mean, no. I think he's already the greatest of all time. Is what I meant. Yeah, he's got that. Yes, absolutely. Like you know what? You got to go by Grand Slams. I mean, and the record against the other two that are in the conversation, Nadal and Federer. And I mean, he's got winning records, right? So against Federer, I know he has a winning record. Nadal's is uh, is very close, but I mean, look at the Grand Slams. He's got the most, and that's what you go by. That's what they all uh, measure themselves by: is how many Grand Slams do you have? And uh, he does. And I don't, I can't see that that record, his record, is going to be broken. I think he's going to add to it as well. So, um, yeah. So I'm sure he'd like to add the Davis Cup to it as well. But I hope our Canadians have something to say about that. 2010, he won the Davis Cup with uh, yeah, Serbia, yeah, okay. so he has won it before. But it's been a while, so yeah. why not? Why not win another one? So, 
Uh, he's sure. just won everything. And I, I even saw an interview where Rafael Nadal basically conceded it today that uh, he's the GOAT, at least on statistics, which is one sure. thing. And that there's feel and what you like in a player. That's obviously a whole different conversation. But numbers totally. after winning the U.S. Open, let's face it, at, at his age, Mark, at yeah. the age of 36, he yeah. won three majors and lost in the final of a fourth this year. I know. Think about that. Like at that age, think about and the and tennis is a it's such a grueling sport. I mean, like it's it's you got to be so super fit and and healthy and just everything and mentally tough. There's so many elements to it, and for him to have that target on his back year after year after year and still defend it, and he he thrives in that in that position. Where some people, you know, they're scared of that, and he just just bring it on, and you see how he responds. He responds remarkably well, and. And I mean, yeah, he's on statistics. He's the greatest, but the people's champ, probably Roger would be the the people's champ, just like Ali was back in the day. And uh, But yeah, stats-wise, there's no denying. I mean, Djokovic has that, so yeah. And also going into next summer, he's never won an Olympic gold medal. So something to, oh, okay. to look okay. at as well. All right, Mark, I'll let you go on that note. Okay. Appreciate this. Thanks, and uh, sorry that you're not going this weekend. <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks for having me, and take care of yourself. Good. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. Come on, and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this.